With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Sabrina Halbertson. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today on the AgNet News Hour. Coming up later, the California snowpack has grown significantly since the beginning of the new year, and Joel Nelson takes over as interim president of American Pistachio Growers. But we start today at the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention, which wraps up today in Salt Lake City, Utah. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack on Monday spoke to members of the American Farm Bureau Federation at the group's annual meeting. Vilsack announced USDA is investing $207 million in 42 states for projects through the Rural Energy for America program, or REAP, and the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program. We've identified roughly 90 projects that we're exploring for around $900 million. And today, uh, we're announcing seven more projects that will receive up to $50 million to expand access to additional fertilizer, expand access to to, uh, fertilizer that will lower costs. Excited about the opportunities uh, in the Midwest in particular uh, to see this happen. This will now bring to uh, the total of 40 such projects that we have funded uh, through the USDA. Vilsack said about 50 fertilizer projects have yet to be funded. So there's a tremendous opportunity for us to substantially expand access to fertilizer and lower costs for farmers. And many of these projects are farmer-owned, which creates yet another profit opportunity, another entrepreneurial opportunity. Secretary Vilsack spoke on a number of topics at the Farm Bureau Convention. We have for you now his first few minutes of that speech. Zippy, thank you uh, very, very much uh, for the friendship Uh, for the guidance and counsel that you've provided. Uh, You have represented the uh, concerns and interests of Farm Bureau uh, through the course of the many years that we've worked together. So I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be again here to visit with uh, America's farmers, ranchers, and producers. Uh, Zippy's been in my office, and so he knows uh, I've got a fairly large desk. And on the desk, there are a number of uh, items, and one of the items uh, recently added to my desk was a gift that I got uh, at Christmas time from my son, Doug, uh, who lives in Colorado. Uh, it was uh, a book that was written by Gifford Pitchoe, uh, entitled Conservation. Uh, and so the other day, um, I had just about five or 10 minutes in my day, and I had the opportunity to sort of thumb through the book. And I came across uh, a quote uh, from Pinchot about the importance of conservation the significance of our natural resource base as being fundamental to our democracy, to our way of life, to our economy. It was his belief that we needed to maintain that natural resource base in order to continue to be a successful nation. Well, I would, with due respect uh, to Mr. Pinchot, I would add a component to that. I think at the foundation of our economy and our value system, is American agriculture. The farmers and ranchers and producers across this great country that work hard every single day to provide extraordinary diversity of product. I think it's important for us to recognize as a country the incredible contribution that is made by farmers and ranchers and producers that indeed makes our country the strongest and most powerful in the world, one that's food secure, one that creates opportunities for the rest of America to do what it does, because it doesn't have to worry about having to feed our family. We just simply have to have a paycheck, allowing us to go to a grocery store and get the benefit of your hard work. 
So I think it creates, for me as the Secretary of Agriculture and for all of you, a sacred responsibility focused on conserving. First of all, conserving those natural resources, and that's why it's important for us to continue to work collaboratively together in partnership to utilize the resources that are now available under the Inflation Reduction Act that expand dramatically the amount of resource and support for conservation. And I know that farmers and ranchers and producers are taking advantage of this because the programs are oversubscribed. The demand is great. We want to continue to work to use those resources in a way that allows you to, in, to enrich the soil, to improve water quality, to in, conserve those resources. I think it's important and a sacred responsibility on our part to ensure that we conserve the opportunity to continue to farm, notwithstanding the fact that farmers, ranchers, and producers across the country are often faced with disasters. We know that we've seen a market increase in the intensity of those disasters. The 100-year flood doesn't occur every 100 years. Unfortunately and tragically, in some parts of the country, they occur 100 days apart. And so it's important for us to continue to focus on risk management, on crop insurance, to ensure that we, in fact, can provide the assistance and help. Uh, just a few minutes ago, I had the opportunity to visit with the presidents uh, uh, of the state presidents of the Farm Bureaus represented here today. And I shared with them our commitment to expanding crop insurance, looking at currently 140, 134 crops that are insured uh, through risk management. Uh, that's increased dramatically. 604 varieties are covered, 34 plans, $207 billion in production is protected through this mechanism. Last year, we uh, invested about $12 billion in indemnity. The year before, $19 billion. These are life-saving payments that are required and necessary in order for us to continue to conserve the opportunity to farm. Again, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack speaking at the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention in Salt Lake City, Utah. We will have more from the convention later in the show. This is the Agnet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and we will be back in just a moment. You are listening to the Agnet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson. In today's national spotlight, the USDA has just approved hundreds of Renewable Energy for America projects. Gary Crawford has more. The Renewable Energy for America program, or REAP as it's called, helps farmers pay for individualized renewable energy projects on their farms. Today we're announcing an expansion of opportunity in that space. More awards, more projects. Agriculture Secretary Tom Bilsack in Salt Lake City Monday telling the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention that the USDA has already funded over 4,800 REAP projects. We're announcing 650 additional uh, projects being awarded uh, in 42 states, about $150 million to expand that opportunity. It's going to help lower costs for farmers all across the United States. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The first meeting of the U.S.-China Joint Committee on Cooperation in Agriculture in almost nine years recently occurred with the Agriculture Secretary among the participants. Here's Rod Bain. A coordination of bilateral exchanges and cooperation in the ag realm between the U.S. and China. That is the focus of the Joint Committee on Cooperation in Agriculture, a vehicle for improved ag-based relationships between the two nations, now over 20 years old. Yet the last time this committee convened was almost nine years ago, 2015. 
That is, until last week. I was with the Chinese agriculture minister. He came all the way from Beijing, and he was at USDA. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack noted conversation focused on outstanding market access issues and some U.S. ag stakeholder concerns. With the latter, he acknowledged the delicate trade relationship between our nation and China. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. That's today's National Spotlight. Now here's Will Jordan with the Livestock Report. In today's Livestock News, the USDA released the January Cattle and Feed Report last Friday, providing a glimpse of cattle numbers to start the new year. There were 11.9 million head of cattle and calves on feed as of January 1, a 2% increase from the same time last year. 7.2 million head were steers and steer calves, accounting for 60% of the inventory. Heifers and heifer calves were up 2% year-over-year, accounting for 4.74 million head of cattle on feed inventory. December 2023 feedlot placements totaled 1.7 million head, a 4% drop from 2022. The largest December placement weight class were cattle and calves weighing 600 pounds or less, totaling 440,000 head. Fed cattle marketings totaled 1.73 million head during December, 1% lower than December 2022. Holden Ramey, market analyst for Cattle Facts, shares more. All throughout the fall, you know, we kind of thought earlier on this past summer we'd start to see a little bit of heifer retention as we went into the fall. And certainly starting with that September cattle on feed report, we didn't really, that's when the heifers really started to come to town and they kind of continued to come all throughout the fall just as producers didn't have the grass uh, to retain those heifers, you know, stayed pretty dry across a lot of the major cattle feeding regions up until, you know, this last month when they started to get some snow, but it came a little late as far as heifer retention goes. As far as placements, looking at this last report, they did start to come down uh, below a year ago. Uh, they were 4% below a year ago. Had marketings down just a little bit from a year ago. However, I think this is important to know. This was the first month since July uh, where marketings have outplaced uh, placements. So ultimately, uh, we did start to decline the cattle on feed inventory a little bit here uh, for our January 1 number, despite the fact that it still remains about 2% above a year ago. As we kind of march forward here in time in 2024, I do think that we continue to see that number shrink a little bit. Uh, Right now, our estimate is that uh, cattle on feed falls below, back below year ago levels, I should say, uh, as soon as March. As far as how the data is starting to come in, uh, seeing a pretty big gap in placements. Now, certainly a lot of that's been uh, weather-related with uh, quite a bit of snow in areas across the country has inhibited a lot of uh, movement of animals around. And uh, just looking at a little bit of a regional breakdown of how that cattle on feed uh, report came in, as far as the placement numbers, Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, uh, pretty much all the major cattle feeding regions saw placements below a year ago. Um, The only real notable increases came in Oklahoma. Uh, They were up about, only about 8,000 head from a year ago, and uh, California about 9,000 head from a year ago. Uh, as well as that, everybody else was down pretty significantly. Uh, regionally, uh, Kansas, Texas uh, still have cattle on feed inventories uh, well above year ago levels by about 9,000 head apiece. Um, so they're there after that September increase. Uh, they've stayed elevated. I uh, would expect to start to see them trend a little bit lower, um, but it's certainly going to take a little bit of time. Um, Nebraska's running about 40,000 uh, head below a year ago, while uh, Colorado is uh, about 20,000 head uh, below where we were this time 
year. And looking forward on the 2024, just some of the bigger picture things uh, we're looking at here as we get towards the end of January and look at cattle inventory report. Cattle tax productions have the beef cow inventory down around 2% uh, for 2024. And then looking at the calf crop, that'll obviously be down uh, with the fewer cows. Uh, subsequently, uh, we do expect supplies to stay tight throughout the next year, uh, which should uh, keep prices uh, pretty well supported all the way through the system. For Agnet West, I'm Will Jordan. This is the Agnet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and we will be back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Coming up in a few moments, we'll have today's This Land of Ours report, but first, more of the day's agriculture news. And with today's Agnet West headlines, here's Brian German. The recent Blue Diamond Almonds market report highlights robust shipments in December, reaching 229 million pounds, marking the second highest December on record. Despite a 4% decline between November and December, it represents an 11% increase from the previous year. Exports increased 12% to 173 million pounds, while domestic shipments rose 8% to 57 million pounds. Total commitments stand at 637 million pounds, an 11% decrease from last year, with new sales exceeding last year's pace by 8% thanks to significant export volume. The total almond crop for the year is forecasted to be around 2.45 billion pounds, down 7% from the previous year, which should be beneficial for continued shipments. The full market report for January is available at bdingredients.com. The Fertilizer Institute and the Vert Foundation have opened nominations for the 2024 for our advocates. The program recognizes farmers and retailers committed to advanced fertilizer best management practices under the principles of for our nutrient stewardship. These practices aim to bring economic and environmental benefits. Since 2012, the 4R Advocate program has acknowledged the achievements of individuals farming nearly 300,000 acres across 25 states, engaging in outreach efforts to promote responsible fertilizer management. Advocates actively contribute to TFI's initiatives, hosting farm field days and participating in conferences to share insights and experiences, helping to promote the adoption of 4R principles within the farming community. Nominations for the 2024 4R Advocate Program can be submitted through TFI.org. USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service has allocated $9.75 million across 10 grant projects through the Organic Market Development Grant. The initiative aligns with other commitments to create new and improved markets for farmers and aiding those interested in transitioning to organic production. The funded projects distributed in several different states aim to enhance and establish organic markets, ultimately boosting domestic consumption of organic agricultural products. The projects will deliver information and services to over 20,000 producers and 20,000 buyers, expanding market opportunities for organic farmers. USDA Undersecretary Ginny Lester Moffitt expressed enthusiasm for the efforts to generate new revenue streams and value-added opportunities for the organic industry. The grants prioritize projects addressing specific market needs for organic grains, livestock feed, dairy, legumes, and other rotational crops. While still behind the overall average, the California snowpack has made significant gains since the beginning of the year. On December 31st, the snowpack was measured at just 26% of the average for that time of year, with just 2.5 inches of average snow water equivalent. The latest readings from the California Department of Water Resources put the statewide summary in a much better position. As of January 22nd, the California snowpack was measured at 55% of the average for this date. The measurement represents an average snow water equivalent of 8.2 inches. 
So far, California has amassed 30 percent of the overall April 1st average. While the recent storms this month have helped to bolster the snowpack in California, it's still a far cry from the beginning of 2023. Last year at this time, the California snowpack was measured at 240 percent, the historical average for January 22nd. American pistachio growers has come under new leadership. Joel Nelson, who's got quite a long history in the ag industry, has taken over as interim president of APG, assuming the day-to-day management of operations and assisting in the search for a new president. Emphasis on quite a long history, yeah, 39 years with Citrus Mutual. It was a wonderful time, a wonderful career. I retired. It was time. My wife and I wanted to do some things. So I'm sitting at home and I get a phone call from an executive committee member for APG. And I said, Jim, where's this coming from? And I've always worked with people for people that put food on the table. I was in the produce industry in Southern California, worked in communications with them, and the educators came to the Valley to work in the citrus industry, now here with the pistachios. If I can help them with this transition process as they redirect a few things, I'll be happy to do that. I'm going to have fun. I mean, if it's not fun, it's work. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian. Barn Owl Precision Agriculture is the winner of the 2024 Farm Bureau Ag Innovation Challenge. Michael Clement shares more on the Colorado-based startup in today's This Land of Ours report. Barn Owl Precision Agriculture received a total of $50,000 to grow the business by winning the 2024 Farm Bureau Ag Innovation Challenge. The American Farm Bureau Federation, in partnership with Farm Credit, announced the winner from among four finalists at the 2024 American Farm Bureau Convention. Colorado Farm Bureau member Sarah Hinckley, CEO and co-founder of Barn Owl, explains what the company provides. We do small farm robots as a service, and they do precision weeding, so in between the plant weed control row-based weed control through kind of like an automated hand poke mechanic, and then some precision spraying, some planting, and some harvest support. Inkley says winning the challenge helps their company grow and help farmers. Winning means a lot for us. We will be able to go out and build a few more robots to service more farmers, which is our true and main focus is making sure that we help as many small farmers as possible so they can keep farming next year. So we've been able to connect with Ag Launch, which will be a great support system for our growth and development. Many different types of growers who we can utilize to help us continue to build the system in the best way possible. Hinkley encourages other entrepreneurs to consider competing in the challenge next year. I would say just keep on keeping on. It is sometimes a long process and the time it takes might not result in a win, but getting to the final 10 and then just being exposed to Farm Bureau and their Ag Innovation Challenge and their platform has been incredible. Other Ways was named runner-up in the contest and received a total of $20,000. Secret Garden Bees, one of the 10 semifinalist teams, won the People's Choice Award, which is decided by public vote and received $5,000 in additional prize money. Learn more at fb.org slash challenge. Michael Clements, Salt Lake City. This is the Agnet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. We have more now from the Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, his comments at the AFBF annual convention. We continue with his speech to attendees. There's also the desire and the need for us to conserve that opportunity in the face of challenging economics. Here's what you may not know. In addition to Gifford Pinchot, who expressed concern, on my uh, desk, there's also a book that was written in 1863. It was the first report of the Commissioner of Agriculture for the United States. It was a report to Abraham Lincoln. Thankfully, I don't have to do that with President Biden. Good Lord. 
This report was 632 pages long. It was remarkable. But in it was a preference about the importance of preserving the opportunity for small and mid-sized farming operations as central to our democracy. And a warning that if we allow the erosion of small and mid-sized operations, that our democracy, our country would suffer. Fast forward to 1981, a predecessor of mine, Secretary Berglund from Minnesota, expressed the same concern as we watched the transition from a supply management system where farmers did pretty well uh, during the uh, post-depression era to a supply management, uh, to, I mean, to a market system, the concern was that this would drive further consolidation of farmland. I just shared with Zippy uh, in the green room these statistics. Since 1981, since Bob Berglund issued that warning, we've lost 437,300 farms. Now, that's farm families that are no longer in the farming business, which means that in all likelihood their families are no longer in those small communities, which means their children aren't in school, which is one of the reasons why schools have had to consolidate. They're not shopping at the, at the central business district, which means that small family-owned business may not be in business today. It may be a dollar store or a Walmart. It means that the local hospital maybe is now a clinic. And the question I ask all of you today is whether we're okay with that. In a 40-year period, the loss of that many farms, to give you a sense of how many farmers that is, that's every farmer today in North Dakota and South Dakota, in Wisconsin and Minnesota, in Iowa and Illinois, Nebraska and Colorado. At the same time, since 1981, we've lost 141 million acres of farm land Land that was once in farming that is in farming today. That's the landmass of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Maryland. Are we okay with that? I'm not. I don't think you are either. And I don't think the country can stand a continued acceleration of the loss of small and mid-sized farming operations. We can do better. We can figure out ways in which Large production agriculture can continue to flourish as it is important and necessary to meet the food demands not just of the U.S. but of the world. But at the same time, we can also provide an entrepreneurial opportunity for that small and mid-sized operation. Now, what am I talking about? Well, Zippy mentioned the sustainability practices uh, that Farm Bureau and a number of farm organizations came to USDA and suggested that if, if we could set up a voluntary, incentive-based, market-driven system, farmers would respond, and boy, was he right about that. Now, 141 projects are now engaged in 50 states involving well over 100 major commodities, involving 205 sustainability practices, Farmers are now going to be paid, encouraged, incented, rewarded for taking those steps to be more sustainable. And we're going to work with the market forces to create a value-added opportunity. But the, the great opportunity in, in, in the sustainable area isn't just a value-added opportunity, isn't just farmers being rewarded for being good stewards of the land. It's also the ability to measure and monitor and verify the results 
of those practices and be able to utilize them in creating market opportunities through carbon markets and other environmental markets that are designed for farmers, creating a whole new source of income for farming operations. At the same time, there are projects like GIVO, uh, which is a, a out, operating out of the upper Midwest, that is focused on taking agricultural waste and turning it into sustainable aviation fuel. This is a whole new opportunity for American agriculture to embrace our transportation challenges. While we're getting to net zero, we're going to help the transportation industry get to net zero. It's a 36 billion gallon industry that doesn't exist today, that can create nearly a million jobs in rural places, that can create more opportunity, more sustainable economic opportunity for small and mid-sized operations. I'm traveling immediately after this speech today. I'm going to Georgia, Zippy. And you know that's a long flight. And I'm going to be Wednesday at a new facility opening up in Georgia designed to use corn into producing sustainable aviation fuel. And I'm excited about that opportunity because it opens up a whole new vista of opportunities, of bio uh, product opportunities. There are literally 40,000 of those opportunities. And that creates a new entrepreneurial avenue. So you've got, with sustainable practices, you've got a value-added opportunity. You've got a new income source from ecosystem service markets. And you have an opportunity as well uh, to convert agricultural waste into something more valuable. All of that is being supported today by USDA. Resources from the Commodity Credit Corporation, from the Inflation Reduction Act, from the Infrastructure Law, and from the American Rescue Plan. We're excited about this future. Once again, we're listening to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and his comments at the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention. This is the AgNet News Hour, and we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the AgNet News Hour. We continue now with Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and his comments at the 2024 American Farm Bureau Annual Convention. We're excited about lowering costs for farmers. We know that input costs are a deep concern. That's why we continue to see an expansion of our Renewable Energy for America program, helping individual farming operations lower their energy costs by installing on their farm individualized renewable energy projects. Today, we're announcing an expansion of opportunity in that space. Excited about that opportunity. We're announcing 650 additional projects being awarded in 42 states, about $150 million to expand that opportunity. It's going to help lower costs for farmers all across the United States. We've already done over 4,800 of those uh, awards, and we're going to continue to see a significant increase. But it's not just lowering the cost that this creates. It also creates the opportunity, as farmers improve uh, renewable energy opportunities and increase the amount of energy that's produced on their farm, they can take that excess energy and working with their neighbors, potentially work with their REC to create power purchasing agreements and yet another income source that doesn't exist today that will exist in the future. And it's not just renewable energy, it's also about fertilizer. We know uh, that for far too long we have been over-reliant uh, on others to supply the fertilizer necessary for crop production. That's why I'm excited uh, today uh, to make additional announcements in our fertilizer expansion uh, effort. Uh, we've identified roughly 90 projects that we're exploring for around $900 million. And today, uh, we're announcing seven more projects that will receive up to $50 million to expand access to additional fertilizer. Uh, 
expand access to, to uh, fertilizer that will lower costs. Excited about the opportunities uh, in the Midwest in particular uh, to see this happen. This will now bring to uh, the total of 40 such projects that we have funded uh, through the USDA. And we've got about 50 projects yet uh, to be funded. So there's a tremendous opportunity for us to substantially expand access to fertilizer and lower costs for farmers. And many of these projects are farmer-owned, which creates yet another profit opportunity, another entrepreneurial opportunity. We also see tremendous opportunity in local and regional food systems, starting with processing. We heard loud and clear from producers all across the country, there simply wasn't enough competition. Uh, and yes, you can, you can do regulations, and we are. Uh, and you can make sure the Department of Justice is alert uh, to concerns about anti-competitive practices, and we're doing that. And we've set up a website for farmers to be able to tell us their stories. But it's also important to invest in more processing capacity. And so I'm excited about what we are doing in this space. We announced the establishment of the meat and poultry expansion, uh, uh, protein expansion effort, processing expansion effort. We funded 35 projects across the United States uh, in 24 states. We're going to continue to see additional awards in the spring. We've provided loan guarantees to expand access not just to processing, but to the supply chain that supports processing. Nearly 50 uh, grants uh, have been awarded. Uh, we have focused on resources uh, to enable uh, entities and, and states to provide additional credit for processing. We call this an intermediary relending program. All of that has been established and set up. And we also provided 238 uh, small processing facilities with the ability to do uh, opportunities across state lines. Just the other day, I was in Colorado, had a wonderful story about this program. It was a story of a family that in the 1980s uh, was operating a cattle operation, but they lost the cattle operation during that difficult time, but they were able to preserve the land ownership. They used C uh, CRP to basically get them through a tough patch. The next generation, rather than leaving the farm, came to the farm and said, we can be entrepreneurial. We can look for an opportunity to return this industry to the farm and to the family. And so they began uh, a, a process of, uh, of in engaging in uh, the raising of cattle. And they decided, you know, uh, we need to do business with small processing capacities around the country and around the state. And they did. But several of those uh, were challenged financially. And the family ended up using USDA resources to purchase one of those facilities. And they'd used additional USDA resources to expand that opportunity. So now they're not only benefiting from processing and production, but they're also providing opportunities for, uh, for their neighbors to be able to have a decent, good, viable market. Once again, we are listening to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack at the 2024 American Farm Bureau Annual Convention this week. We will be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to the Agnet News Hour. And we go back now to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack speaking at the 2024 American Farm Bureau Annual Convention. We're investing in value-added producer grants. We're investing in local purchasing opportunities where when government purchases for 
for schools or for food banks that they are purchasing from that local producer. Why is that important? Simply because every time I go to the grocery store and I put a dollar down on the counter, I know that 15 cents of that dollar goes to a farmer. But when I go to a local and regional food system where I'm working directly with my farmer, uh, we have a, a, a butcher shop uh, in, in uh, Waukee, Iowa that we go to as a family, and I know that instead of 15 cents out of every food dollar, that entity is generating 50 cents or 75 cents of every food dollar for those farmers. So this is a combination of efforts to conserve the opportunity for small and mid-sized producers to stay in business. And why is that important to the country? In addition to making us a food secure nation, in addition to the notion that it creates a strong foundation that frees everyone else up to pursue their dreams and their aspirations, which has created this incredibly complex American economy that we're so proud of. It is also rural America that provides more to the country. As I say often to audiences, it also provides the sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters into our military. The people who are willing to risk their lives to protect our freedoms. Disproportionate number come from those small communities. So when I see the loss of farms, and I see the loss of farmland, and I know how difficult and challenging it is from a financial perspective, even though we've enjoyed three best years in net uh, farm cash income in the history of the country, and this year, while it will be a little bit more difficult, will still be above average. The challenge is that the income has become consolidated. In those three arcade years, 7.5% of American farms, the farms that sell more than a half a million dollars in sales annually, received about 89% of that income, which meant that nearly 2 million farms had to share 11%. And what we're doing here is creating opportunities for that 92% of farms to be able to have multiple revenue streams so that when they are at that kitchen table, and having that conversation with the son and the daughter or the grandson or the granddaughter, and maybe it's a veteran returning from military service about what's next, I want that conversation to always be. There's tremendous opportunity here. There's an exciting opportunity for you to be entrepreneurial, for you to be engaged in sustainable practices and be rewarded for it, for you to access local markets and be able to pay, be paid more for it to reduce your costs, to create new renewable energy and less expensive energy, not just for your farming operation, but for everybody in the area. I want there to be excitement and opportunity to be discussed at that table. Because at the end of the day, it is the value system of this country that is represented in this hall today. It is a value system that rewards hard work, that understand that nothing is given that everything is earned. It is a value system that understands and appreciates the concept of community, and I'll finish with this. I recently had an amazing conversation in a short period of time at a, at a little town hall meeting in Maine. A dairy farmer had the opportunity to say anything to me that she wanted about the operation, about the dairy industry, about the challenges. She chose to tell me the story 
of a family whose dairy operation was destroyed during a storm and the reaction of their neighbors banding together to take the 150 dairy cows, to divide them among the remaining families around the area, to ensure that that family's dairy operation would continue. Folks, that's what's at stake here. We can't afford to continue to lose farms and farm land. We have to figure out a better way, a different way, a more exciting way, a more challenging way. And that's what I spend virtually every waking moment of my life focused on. Because I understand the significance to American agriculture, I understand the significance to the Farm Bureau, and most importantly of all, I understand the significance to the greatest nation on earth, our country. God bless you all and God bless our country. Once again, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack at the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention held this week in Salt Lake City, Utah. That's today's top agriculture news. I'm Serena Halverson. Thank you for sharing your morning with us. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit AgNetWest online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at AgNetWest on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Brian German and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the AgNet News Hour from AgNetWest. AgNetWest Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.